Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host. Thanks for joining us on one of the 42 radio stations around the country on YouTube, on iTunes, and the show website, CREshow.com. We appreciate you being with us. Well, today we're going to talk about retail and retail real estate. We're going to talk about the investment market, cap rates, and trends there. We're also going to talk about the impact of the millennial generation, everyone's favorite topic. We're going to talk about feasibility for retailers and for new locations, and we're going to talk about some smart sustainability practices, uh, something that's really coming back into uh, into play in the retail market. Well, let's start with Kevin Imboden. He is Director of Research with RC Analytics. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be on, Michael. Well, we appreciate it, Kevin, and you guys do a good uh, job of tracking uh, the investment market of all property types around the country. And you know, retail has been real interesting. It seems like uh, there's a surge of activity, at least in, in the markets in the southeast where we work a lot. What did you see for transaction volume in the second quarter, and, and how's the how's transaction volume trending? So year to date, up to this point, we're looking at about a hair over 44 billion across the country. And so the question, of course, is, all right, how does that compare to previous years? And we're looking at a total of 88 last year and 64 the year before. So maybe a little behind last year's pace, but we're doing even better than we were in the pre-recession years. And splitting that out among property types, we're looking at a bit over 27 for malls and inner city retail and close to 17 in strips. Interesting. So are most of the uh, volume, is it high-quality properties, uh, institutional-type deals? Uh, or are you seeing some more activity in, in B and value-add and kind of redevelopment deals? Well, we've seen many very high-quality assets trade of late and at very high valuations. We all know about that big deal in Hawaii with the Ala Moana Center. We had those two pension funds buy into that, valuing it at $5.5 billion. We also had several first half deals in Manhattan that sold for really high prices per square foot. We're talking 4000 6000 even $10,000 a square foot. Wow. There were even some deals in Chicago. There was a $3,000 square foot deal in downtown Chicago and the Converse store in Santa Monica, over $6,000 a square foot. So some of these inner city properties that have good foot traffic, that have a lot of turnover, they're getting looks from big time investors. Yeah, that is amazing. So what kind of cap rates are these properties trading at? So we've seen this compression across retail since 2010. So starting back in 10, we're looking around eights for retail. And we cut to the present day, and across all retail types, we're looking at about 6.5%. Now, how does that split out among the types again? Well, we're looking at under sixes in the inner city and the mall properties and under sevens for strip properties. So how does that compare pre-recession? We're looking at the lowest caps ever for some of these high retail properties because back then in 07, we were looking at mid sixes, so massive compression there. Yeah, that's amazing. And some people that aren't in retail may think it's under the trailing sector and they, and they see some troubled properties, but boy, there's, there's a lot of demand and a lot of properties that are doing extremely well and, and, and a lot of interest in this sector. And I think uh, maybe because there is a lot of upside with uh, the lack of new construction and things. So how do you think all this is going to impact cap rates moving forward? Well, I 
think I'm drawing on some of what the other sectors are doing. So if we're looking at the CBD office market, which has gotten so much investment, even more than retail, then we're looking at mid-fives at best in the top six markets of the country. In fact, probably going into the fours. How about those mid-high-rise apartment buildings? We're looking at low five caps. So compared to that, actually some of these retail properties look like a good value. So there may even be the opportunity for a bit more compression, depending if certain assets come up to market again. That's interesting. So we may see some uh, more of these extraordinarily high prices per square foot because there's just a lot of demand in the in the retail investment market, right? Well, absolutely. And I think some of this is driven by the move back to the inner city. As you had mentioned in your intro to the show, millennials moving back into the inner city. People are looking to uh, change their lifestyle a bit more than they used to. Suburban living is out completely passe now. So with this higher density, it's bringing the higher foot traffic, and some of these retail properties deserve a look. Right. What do you think, Kevin, about future values of real estate? Now, we know we're talking about cap rates uh, now, but let's talk about NOI growth, and uh, let's talk about future demand uh, based on interest rates rising. How do you think that's going to impact uh, retail real estate values moving forward? Well, when we're looking at financing across the commercial real estate sector. We're looking at financing at a lot of the time in the mid to low fours. We've done a study recently that showed that. So money is cheap right now. It's probably the cheapest ever, but if we're looking at a mid to low fours for an interest rate and a cap rate that could be around six, well, there's a pretty decent spread there. So even if interest rates were to increase a bit, I think there's still room to grow depending on the quality of the asset. Wow. So you think that we have great positive leverage now, and you think even if we go up 100 basis points on on our interest rates, that for most investment properties, you're still going to have that positive leverage. So you don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on cap rates or values moving forward for what, the next year or two? How how far out? Well, at least not to start. We try to not uh, get too much into the forecasting side of things, but it does seem like there's a bit of space there. So I think we might be okay as long as it doesn't doesn't have a huge ratchet up immediately. Well, come on now. I've seen you guys at the booth at ICSC. You have a crystal ball. You just get it out for certain clients, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're revealing the industry secrets here. We have to be careful. So, Kevin, where are the hot markets for retail investment today? So the aforementioned deals in Manhattan over the past year to date, so quarter end of quarter two to quarter two this year, six point six billion is traded in midtown retail, and that's a lot. And we're looking at caps through Manhattan to be in the low fours now. So following that up, how about LA? LA six point three billion, about a five and a half cap across those properties. So. In L.A., it's kind of an interesting story because you'd always assume, based on the sprawl of the metro area, that that would be mostly strip centers. But we actually have a pretty good amount of malls and inner-city properties that have sold there, too. It's actually outweighing the strip volume. Uh, Other boroughs in New York City, pretty good volume there as well. And Dallas has actually had a pretty good past year, which I think has surprised a lot of people. 
Interesting. We're talking with Kevin M. Bowden with RC Analytics about the retail investment market. And, and Kevin, with all this good news on these low cap rates, this, this great volume and uh, great performance really in most of these retail properties, is it time to build? I mean, I think one of the reasons that uh, retail is doing so well is there's really been a severe lack of new supply. Is it time to build now? I think given the right concept, it very well could be. Again, kind of repeating myself, but those inner city concepts seem like the way to go. Also, the mixed use type, if you can get that mixed use property that has huge retail component, maybe some apartments mixed in, maybe some office, get people to stay after work and spend some money, that seems to be a good look. Building suburban properties, probably not what you want to do right now. So again, right concept could be the way to go. Okay. And what about areas of opportunities, Kevin? If I have, you know, $40 million or, or $2 million uh, or somewhere in between there, where might I find some opportunities in retail? So certain secondary markets seem to be a pretty good value right now, especially in compared to some of these far-reaching tertiary markets. Some of these secondaries, you can get good retail properties at high sixes or low sevens. And what are we talking about as far as specifics? We're looking at Dallas, Houston, Memphis, Portland, maybe even Vegas. If you feel like gambling in Vegas, <laughs> you're looking at a high six cap rate across all retail there right now. Well, so taking into account all those types. Well, maybe it's not a gamble then. At uh, a six cap, you finance it at four, and uh, we have improving uh, you know, uh, demand there, right? Absolutely. There's been a, a recovery in that market, not certainly to how it was several years ago, but at least a respectable amount. And so instead of heading deep into these tertiary markets, these mid-secondaries look like a solid bet. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, there are some opportunities uh, to to go into these uh, secondary markets and get some great values. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks as always, Michael. Well, we appreciate you being on. And, and uh, reach out to RC Analytics if you'd like some information on any type of investment property around the country. They research office, industrial, and retail, and all sorts of properties. So uh, do check them out. And stay with us. We're going to have more on retail and retail investment market and retail performance. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest. It's Jonathan Lapat. He's founder of Strategic Retail Advisors. They're a retail consulting and brokerage firm focused on tenant representation throughout the Northeast. Jonathan, thanks for joining us on Skype today. Thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate it. And Jonathan, what we'd like to talk to you about is the, the millennials, right? I think the, the millennial demographic is important to almost every business these days, but uh, especially important to retail property owners and, and retailers who, you know, retail property owners rely on to do well, right? So tell us just how big and how important are the millennials? The millennials are the fastest growing demographic in the United States. And as such, the need to address the, the wants 
of the millennial demographic is of uh, the utmost importance throughout the retail industry. Uh, right now, it's estimated that it's about a $600 billion business uh, uh, addressing to the, uh, to the millennials. And within the next four to five years, estimates are that it'll be over a trillion dollars and that roughly 30% of all retail sales in the U.S. will be to the millennial demographic. 30%, that's pretty huge. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are some of the ways that uh, retailers are successfully capturing some of these millennial customers? Well, the key to capturing the millennial is being able to have uh, multiple platforms. Omni platforms are essential in today's retail and business. Uh, the millennial is very tech savvy. They have their mobile devices with them all the time and they need to be in constant communication. And in order to reach that demographic, it is extremely important that the retailers are able to provide uh, a good bricks and mortar uh, component. But in addition, they also need to be able to reach the uh, millennial via the internet through social media. Uh, so anytime the you know Joe or Susan is walking down the street, they might get a pop up with a uh, with a coupon to whatever store it is that they like to shop, and they need to be able to feel as if they're being courted. And the successful retailer to the millennial demographic is one that is able to reach out and court that customer. Right, the millennial wants it uh, personalized. Right, they want it for them, and they're used to the technology that kind of allows that. Right. I mean, I was on the uh, internet this morning and you know some ads popped up that were something I was looking to to purchase yesterday and it's just getting more sophisticated right with beacon technology and these apps it really is it's 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 pretty amazing i mean i, I think back uh 20 some odd years ago and you know writing papers in college on, on a on a typewriter <laughs> and uh it seems like the dark ages uh compared to where uh, the millennial uh, age kids are these days. It's it's pretty amazing, and you know, they are so in touch with what's going on around them. And you know, Gen Xers and baby boomers will often complain that the millennial uh, population today is a little bit entitled. But you know what? If that's the case, you know, it's because of things like increased technology and speed to market and their ability due to technology to get their hands on whatever it is they want whenever it is that they want it and as that relates to the retail world the successful retailer is the one who's able to play into that sense of entitlement if one actually exists and to be able to provide that customer what they want exactly when they want it right and if you're a retailer uh you like that they feel entitled <laughs> right Cause... well that's exactly it you know give the people what they want something to that effect i mean you look at the rise of some of the fast fashion labels that are so popular in today's world whether it's uniqlo forever 21 h&m the retailers such as those that are moving at the same speed as the millennial and the reason they're so success, successful excuse me is because they can get their product uh, to the end customer as quickly as they're able to at a competitive price which is also key to the millennial shopper and in order for other retailers, uh, you know, in this case in the fashion industry, to be able to stay pace with them, they need to be able to uh, move at the same 
pace that the shopper is. And, uh, and that's why brands such as those three have been as successful as they have been worldwide. Yeah, you mentioned uh, typewriters. I was with my children on vacation. We were in a place that had some antiques and uh, they saw a typewriter. My son asked me, what is that? <laughs> what is that thing right there? It's um, funny. I, I, I can remember back to ninth grade typing class. Uh, I'll do a call out if I made a Mrs. Finkelstein. Uh, <laughs> it sat there and you know, it'd yell at you if you actually looked at your fingers while you typed. Right. They were good. I'm glad you uh, you did it. That was a good move. <laughs> well, uh, we're talking with Jonathan Lapad, and, and he helps uh, retailers uh, in the Northeast and uh, with site selection and tenant representation. And we're talking about the millennials. And, and one thing that, that we were talking about before the show was millennials also are social conscious, right? And how can retailers uh, work with that to, to attract more customers? That's it. I mean, uh, millennials are looking for more than just a traditional brand. Uh, in order to, uh, uh, to, to to capture their business, it's of growing importance for a retailer to be more than just a product. They also need to have a strong brand ethos, if you will, uh, social consciousness, things of that sort. Uh, one brand that comes to mind is Tom's, which you know offers the, the one for one buy a pair of shoes they give a pair of shoes away I think they've expanded now up or not I think I know they've expanded into eyeglasses they're helping with uh, clean water and undeveloped portions of the world things of that nature and one of the reasons they've grown at the rate that they have and that they're as successful as they have been is because they have uh, social consciousness and social awareness above and beyond the retail product that they're offering offering the consumer right and tell us, um, how, you know, the millennials are price conscious, but when it comes to social consciousness, you know, maybe they'll, uh, they'll pay a little more if they know the company is doing some good around the world? It seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's a fine line between paying more um, and feeling as if they're getting a good deal mm-hmm. um, and buying into the whole brand ethos, but it seems as if you know, a few dollars more in order to know that your money is going to a good cause is something that most millennials will buy into. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, when they're shopping or, you know, other facets of their life, most millennials seem to be a little bit more socially aware and uh, global in their worldview than Gen Xers or baby boomers tend us, to be. Give us a quick real quick tip to attract retailer to attract millennials a real quick tip I think the growth of uh, you know certainly brand ethos is one of them but another thing we can do is geofencing uh, love the love the concept you walk into a shopping center into a mall whatever it is then all of a sudden your telephone gets pinged uh, come into our store you get 25% off if you get in here in the next two hours things of that sort plays real well to the to the millennial jonathan thanks for joining us sir hey it's my pleasure thanks for having me today well stay with us we'll have more on retail and retail real estate i'm michael bull this is the commercial real estate show we'll be right back
Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit Realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Scott Priggy. He's Senior VP, National Property Operations with Regency Center. Scott, thanks for joining us here uh, in Studio One. Me. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate it. Now, I see you handle green genuity for 46 million square feet of shopping centers for Regency around the country. Tell our listeners about green genuity. That's really our sustainability efforts. Um, Back in 2008, we developed uh, what we felt like was a best-in-class um, program to help not only our existing shopping centers become more sustainable, but also our new developments and redevelopments. So since 2008, we've uh, completed in excess of 150 water and energy efficiency uh, projects throughout our entire portfolio. And these projects are, are generating about a million and a half dollars worth of savings each year. And, and the payback for these, are, um, we're finding, are just under three years. And tell me some, about some of those uh, initiatives. What are you actually doing? Well, at the property level, they're really focused on three main areas. Mm -hmm. And one is, uh, the first is uh, smart irrigation controls, which control the irrigation uh, based on demand, not necessarily on a fixed schedule. Uh, the second is lighting control systems, which allows us the flexibility to manage our, our lights after hours or, or at night. Mm -hmm. And the third is uh, retrofitting our parking lot lighting using LED bulbs. And these LED bulbs are providing significant energy savings and maintenance savings. Um, they have a 10-year warranty and are providing a superior lighting quality over the typical metal halide lights that you would typically you'd find in most shopping centers. Yeah, and that's huge for the, the tenants in retail because in retail, the tenants uh, typically, they're paying the CAM, the common area maintenance, which includes all the utility and operating costs, right? You're exactly right. Yeah. So when we install these smart irrigation meters, mm -hmm. cool roofs and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, these tenants are getting the direct results of that. And all our tenants uh, are triple net leases, so this, these uh, savings are passed along to the tenants. And we believe by giving trying to provide the tenants a lower operating, uh, total operating ex uh, uh, expense decrease that we have the ability to grow future rents. Yeah. So have you seen your CAM charges? I know other expenses have gone up that you can't control, right? Yeah. The taxes, the yeah. insurance, and everything else. But have you been able to stabilize or reduce your CAM charges? Or because the other expenses are going up so much, you, have they actually gone up? Well, it's, it's, it's tough to quantify a lot of times because yeah. although you're, you're saving on consumption, utility pricing is going up. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're finding that in California that no matter what we do to try and, and save action, the utilities that we're utilizing for not only for ourselves, for our tenants, that, that price per therm or, or, the, or the price per gallon continues to rise. Okay. What's the biggest challenge with sustainability in shopping centers? What's tough? You know, it's unique, whereas in office or, or other sectors, uh, there's a true ROI for your sustainability measures. You're, you're getting that return on that dollar. But since most of the savings we're passing back through our tenants, it's 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 difficult for us to really try and quantify the improvements uh, that we're, we're providing, uh, not only the tenants but for for our standpoint as well. You know, if we put a, new, a cool roof on a on a shopping center, it's really hard to quantify the the true savings we're providing that tenant. But I think it's going to it's going to it's continuing to evolve over time, and I think it's going to become more of an area where those centers that are truly sustainable, you'll, you'll start seeing higher rents. 
Right, I can imagine that. So you're you're going to the board and you're saying, yeah, this roof's going to cost twice as much, but boy, our cam's going to be lower, so we're going to create more tenant demand. And they say, all right, well, show me those metrics. Right? <laughs> show, me, show me how how many more tenants we're going to get. You're absolutely right, and we're yeah. also seeing that from investors and shareholders as well. Yeah. Is they're looking for uh, sustain, the sustainability that the companies are doing, and you're also seeing a correlation between companies that have better sustainability practices and stock price as well. Yeah. And so tenants care, or they should care, because they're, they're paying the cam. Uh, but do shoppers, do people visiting these centers really care or no? I, I think they absolutely do. You know, I think as, as a shopper, you want to uh, shop somewhere that, that has your same value. So what we try and do is uh, place signage around shopping centers where we've done sustainability measures. Uh, we've got a number of centers, uh, both redevelopments and new developments, where we've got LEED certification, and we've put monuments or plaques there to kind of recognize that. Okay. Um, and it, you know, secondly, then not only from a, uh, a tenant, and it benefits both tenant and consumers, but we've uh, installed electric vehicle car charging stations at 25 centers. And tenants like it because you, now you've got a captured audience there for close to an hour charging up your car. Right. Right, so that tenant hopefully is going to stay there longer and go to the grocery store and go to the other tenants, right? Absolutely, absolutely. What is the highest return? So I've got a center, and and, and just a, and a couple sentences, what should I go after first? What's the fastest? I think there's uh, the low, low-hanging fruit is these smart irrigation systems. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, when we started doing this in 2008, we looked at that as being the easiest thing to do. It's probably the, the cheapest for $100. You could put a new system in there and drastically reduce your water consumption. Mm-hmm. And then the secondly is these LED bulbs. Um, you know, every single uh, new development we're doing, we're including those as, as well as retrofits, and we're seeing extreme cost savings yeah, utilizing that, those. That's a good point. I left my house the other uh, other morning, and my neighbor's watering his lawn, and it, and it had been raining yeah, exactly. <laughs> profusely. Exactly. We do have a little something on ours that if it's been raining, it won't turn on. And so, yeah, you're saving water. Well, stay tuned. We're going to have more on retail and retail real estate right after this quick break. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm host Michael Bull. We've moved to a mobile studio. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest. It's Jeff Green. Jeff's president and CEO of Jeff Green Partners. They're a leader in retail real estate feasibility. They provide a full spectrum of analytical and interpretive services for property owners, developers, and tenants. Jeff, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Michael. Well, we appreciate it. And first of all, I'd like to ask you about uh, the tenants that are active. You know, who's out there, uh, you know, spreading their wings? Well, it's interesting because, you know, the last couple of years we've been thinking that bricks and mortar uh, is in trouble when in actuality it's very strong because it's broken down into some, I, I think, four critical points. One is which, you know, fast fashion apparel is... Um, really hot now, and that's kind of a substitute for teen apparel, meaning it's um, high fashion, low price. Examples include H&M, 
Forever 21, and Forever 21's new concept, Forever 21 Red. Then you've got, um, you've got, interestingly, you've got off-price apparel doing very well, um, and that includes, you know, Nordstrom Rack, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, Ross Dress for Less, which I just read this morning is going to be uh, probably opening 97 stores in 2015 and 100 in 2016, which is huge. Um, athletic apparel is another interesting growing segment. I mean, for years we just had people like Lululemon and Lucy, but now I read this morning that um, Dick Sporting Goods is going to come up with a new uh, women's activewear chain called Dick's Collective. Um, you also have um, Hollywood stars opening up athletic apparel stores. Kate Hudson is going to be... Um, uh, opening, a, I guess, a chain of athletic apparel stores to um, rival sort of Lululemon. And then you've got, um, e, this is probably the biggest thing, is you've got e-retailers e that are now opening bricks and mortar. And I didn't necessarily think it was going to come in this direction, meaning the e-retailing e was going to uh, come to brick and mortar. I knew brick and mortar was going to e-retailing, but now it's all about uh, multiple distribution channels. You have new new e-tailers that are actually um, rolling out pretty quickly. One of them is is Perch, um, and that is a um, kind of upscale appliance and home furnishing store. You've got uh, Birchbox, which is um, women's cosmetics. You've got Warby Parker, which is uh, higher-end um, eyeglasses. So that's another category. And the, probably the last category is just you know how many new retailers we're getting from uh, foreign areas, that being people like Uniqlo from Asia, a bunch of, a bunch of others from uh, Europe. Um, that are coming in and, and opening and testing concepts here. I mean, H&M was originally from Europe uh, and still is headquartered in Europe and has done very well here. So that's kind of um, what we're seeing. Well, that's interesting, especially when you talk about the e-tailers coming back uh, and now going into to brick-and-mortar locations. And, you know, the locations, uh, they're a lot more picky you know, today about these retailers are about picking locations, aren't they? And and what are some of the criteria that you see now that, that maybe is a little different than uh, years past? Well, uh, some of these new retailers, especially uh, the e-tailers coming into bricks and mortar, don't seem to like malls. They tend to either like freestanding units or village locations, you know, downtown village locations or lifestyle centers, but they're not too interested in malls. They also like, and this is a, this is a huge factor going forward, is are these mixed-use developments that have sort of built-in demand components. If you open in a mixed-use development as a retailer, you typically have um, uh, residents, office workers, and then sometimes hotel guests right there on property. And you're finding that the uh, retailers are, are pretty fond of these mixed-use developments? 
Oh, yeah, especially the new retailers are really enjoying it, probably more so than more established retailers like we talked about, the off-price Nordstrom Rack, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and Ross. They typically like power center locations. Right. We're short on the break, but I wanted to ask you about these new smaller stores. You know, how are these really working out for the retailers? Are are they, when you go into these smaller stores, is it really working out? their sales working out for them? Yes, very much so. Actually, it, what we're finding is putting in a smaller prototype may mean smaller sales, but it's still going to mean a greater profit because your your operational costs are so much lower. Right, and then you, you change your demographics, right? You don't have to have the, the best demographics. That well, you, you may, you may not need to have store. the trade area population that you have for a larger store. And then it also allows smaller stores to go into smaller markets that couldn't support the large store format. Right. And I guess they have some advantages, too, with, with labor costs, I guess, with these uh, smaller stores. Well, I want to I wanna get some more from you, Jeff. I, I like what you do with the feasibility on these uh, retailers. Uh, you know, it's just so much more important than it used to be. But we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Jeff Green. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm host Michael Bull. We're talking with Jeff Green with Jeff Green Partners. And, Jeff, I'd like to ask you about uh, the characteristics of a new and future, you know, best sites for, for retail right now. It seems like it's, it's time to build again, but retailers are much more picky, as we talked about before. So what makes a good site? Well, it's interesting because what you see, well, I think in uh, 2014 there was one new mall built in Sarasota, Florida. So it's not going to be malls in the future. It's going to be uh, hybrid centers, meaning instead of building to a formula, whether it be a regional mall or a power center or a community center, you're not really building to a definition anymore. You're building to what's supportable in a market. And as we've discussed, um, Retailers are loving the built-in demand components in a mixed-use development that, you know, hotel guests, uh, residents, and office workers provide them. And let me ask you before you move on on affordability. Give me more of what the tenants can afford to pay, uh, the land cost, uh, the development cost in some of these uh, urban areas. Well, it certainly varies a lot in terms of, what the development costs and whether it's a redevelopment or, or a new development, meaning brownfield versus greenfield. And also it depends on what kind of um, incentives you can get from the city to redevelop a site. So, you know, all that is taken into account and all of that then affects um, 
what retailers have to pay for the project to pencil, and then they have to look at, well, will the retailer pay that much before they really get into it? So there's a lot. In mixed-use development, there's a lot of... Um, there are a lot more components that need to be considered because, again, you're getting uh, revenue through, say, the hotel guests, the revenue through the uh, office lease, revenue through the residential um, rent or condo development. So it isn't four times as hard because you've got four components. It's actually exponentially harder. <laughs> right. That's right. And then I guess you got some of these big box tenants that uh, used to be on the freeway exits that were used to some fairly low rents. And now they're getting these more dense markets and smaller uh, square footage. Uh, they're having to pay a lot higher rent and, and figure out how to do that, right? Uh, yeah, a little higher rent. I wouldn't say a lot higher rent. Um, you'd think because they went on the sort of periphery of, of, major markets for many years they were going further out and further out and now they're going back in but they've got small prototypes to be able to account for that i mean target express is probably the best example of that they're building twenty thousand square feet in urban areas what are you what are you seeing for tenant mix in, in today's new developments i mean you've got you know medical and you've got you know a little bit of everything in these retail centers you've got a combination of interestingly of you know, traditional retail and entertainment. And when I talk about entertainment, I'm talking restaurants are included in entertainment. So you've got, you know, some new movie theaters. Movie theaters are typically smaller now. You've got a lot of new uh, fast casual restaurant concepts that are quite affordable and have, have taken the country by storm, for example, Chipotle. But, um, again, it's more of what is needed in the market more than let's build to a formula like we did for so many years with the mall. Right. It's finding out who's there and, and what can the, what can these uh, customers, what do they want to spend, what do they want to buy, right? Well, Jeff, thanks right. for joining us today. We sure appreciate uh, you being on the show. Thank you. Well, appreciate it. And uh, please be sure to join us next week. We're going to talk about the U.S. office market. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.